In the book of Esther, we read about a young woman whose name was Esther, and uh, her parents had died, and so she had been raised by her, I guess, older cousin named Mordecai. Well, the king where they lived, uh, Ahasuerus, he had a great feast to kind of show off all his wealth and everything, and uh, during the feast, he called for his wife. He wanted his wife, Vashti, to come out, and so everyone could see how beautiful she was and be impressed with her. Well, she refused to do it. And of course, this made the king look bad in front of all the people he was trying to impress, and he got mad. He asked his advisors, what should we do and everything. So she was no longer king. She was out. And I'll bet that's a decision that she regretted. But then they put out a proclamation that they should search all through the land to get all the beautiful young women and bring them uh, and get them prepared, and they would present them one by one to the king, and then he would pick, pick out his favorite. And it turns out that he picked uh, Mordecai's uh, cousin that Mordecai had raised. He picked Esther to be the new queen. Well, meanwhile, there was a guy that probably had been trying to work his way up in politics. Uh, his name was Haman, and the king appointed him uh, I guess number two in the kingdom and said that everyone should bow down to him and all this. Now, during this time, it uh, seems like it was a year that uh, Esther was in preparation to meet the king, you know, being fed well and treated well and everything. Mordecai was really worried about her. So he paced up and down outside the, the walls or whatever and sat in the gate so he could find out any news. And uh, when Haman this guy that was appointed by the king to be number two in the kingdom went out, after he'd been appointed, he went out, and of course everyone in the kingdom bowed down to him and, and, uh, and just like, I guess, worshipped him, except for Mordecai. Well, you can imagine that this infuriated Haman. Here he was, he had finally worked him up, himself up in this position that he'd coveted for a long time, and here was Mordecai that refused to bow down like everybody else. And so Haman was outraged, and he wanted to get Mordecai, but he knew that, um, yeah, Mordecai, but he knew that Mordecai was a, a Jew, and he feared the people, so he decided what he would do is rather than get even with Mordecai, he would just get rid of all the Jews in the country. And so he went and presented himself to the king, and he, said, he told the king, he said, he said, there's a group of people that live among us, and they have their own laws. And, and they're not really part of us, and they really shouldn't be with us because they stick together and they have their own laws. And the king said, you're right. He said, what, you do whatever's necessary and you get rid of them. So uh, Haman got together with the other uh, advisors, and they came up with the law, and they sent it out to the furthest parts of the kingdom, and they said, on this day, everyone's going to rise up and we're going to kill all the Jews. Now, fortunately, it wasn't like, Tomorrow, there was some advanced planning in this, and uh, so there was some time for uh, Mordecai to take action and do some stuff. But I want to talk this morning about our enemies. Here was Mordecai. I shouldn't say maybe through, through no fault of his own. I don't know if he was right or wrong to not bow down. You know. I, I don't know if uh, 
Haman was being demanded to be worshipped like a god, which would have been a sin for Mordecai to do, or if Mordecai was just being stubborn. Either way, Mordecai wouldn't bow down. This made Haman mad. Haman wanted to kill all the Jews, including Mordecai. So Mordecai and all the Jews had a mortal enemy. And I want you to think back to a time in your life when, or several times maybe, I want you to think back to the person who has hurt you the most. And I don't mean someone that's disappointed you or maybe someone that's lied to you or something. I mean someone that has really been out to get you. It could have been someone in the church. It could have been a family member. Often it's someone at work. Maybe you worked yourself up into a position or maybe there's a position that's coming open and you're qualified for it because you've been a good worker. And, but here's someone else over here that wants a position and they see that you're qualified for it, so they're out to get you. I'll, t- I'll tell some stories. I want you to think about someone in your life that has, been a, that has gone out of their way to hurt you, someone that has been a true enemy. And as we talk about all these things, I want you to relate back to that, that person. And, uh, and the reason I say that is I don't want to just get up here. I say that some speakers are like college professors. They just get up and state a bunch of facts, and everyone goes, yep, that's right, yep, that's right, yep, that's right. We all go home. I want you to think about what we're talking about today, and I want you to, to feel it. I want you to remember the person that has hurt you the most. You know, there's thinking about enemies, there's, I guess, maybe basically four types of enemies. There's those people that are, and Paul kind of mentions this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26 where he's talking about all the hardships he's been through. And some of the perils he lists, perils from robbers, perils from the Gentiles, perils from his own countrymen, and perils of false brethren. And if you think about this, this kind of falls into four categories. One is just your outright enemies, someone that you both agree you're enemies. You hate each other, and they're out to get you, which isn't, it's common. I mean, it happens, but it's not as common. Paul talks about the Gentiles, which again would be, you got the Jews, and you got the Gentiles. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. A lot of the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. Paul talks about his own countrymen. This would be more like family. Paul was a Jew. He'd grown up in the Jewish religion. He was very zealous. He says he was more zealous in the Jewish religion than many of the people around him. So when Paul says he was in peril of his own countrymen, that's just like family. It's like someone here was your enemy. And then Paul also mentions false brethren. Now he's not talking about Jews. He's talking about Christians. And Whatever your enemy that you're thinking of probably falls into one of these categories. Someone who is just an out-and-out enemy or someone who is a family member or uh, someone at church. Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 36, he said that uh, there would be enemies of your own house. Father would be against son, mother against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Sometimes our enemies are family. And I can think of, uh, and I'm sure you can too, think of a lot of instances. Uh, seems like sometimes some of the instances I know of, uh, a young couple would get married, and I think the mother-in-law resented the fact that her son was no longer her son. You know, the Bible says, for man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
And I guess maybe it hurts a mother sometimes to kind of lose her little baby boy to another woman. But that's the plan. But a lot of people, especially non-Christians, can accept this. I can think of a lot of instances where the mother-in-law just did everything she could to destroy a marriage and uh, just made life miserable for, for the new wife and for her husband and for the kids. And how could a person do that? But Mike and other evangelists, I've heard stories about they'd be out talking to people and uh, they'd find a young person, maybe 16, 17, or 18-year-old person and talk to them about the gospel and the person wants to obey the gospel and be a Christian. And their parents say, if you join that church, don't you ever walk in this house again. That's what uh, uh, Jesus was talking about where he said that, you know, the enemies would be the people of your own house. Um, I've heard of mothers-in-laws going so far as to call CPS on, on their own son or daughter's family. Just, I don't know why. What, what are you trying to, I guess maybe just so they'll divorce. I mean, how, how hateful is that when your own mom would call the law against your family just trying to cause discord? Sometimes your enemies in the church, Paul talked about false, false brethren, and you really hate to think about this, but it's, it's true. Uh, when Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he said, wolves shall arise. But he said, also of your own, he's talking to the elders now, of your own selves, men shall arise. I know Mike can probably tell you a lot of stories, but I know one story in particular where there's this man that for some reason he just got to where he didn't like Mike McCorkle. I don't know why. And he talked to the elders at a church that was supporting Mike, and they just yanked support for Mike. The man never called Mike on the phone. I don't think. Mike can clarify later if he wants. Never called Mike on the phone to discuss their differences. Never told Mike what was going on. All of a sudden, Mike and Carrie got bills they got to pay every month, house payments and car payments. Their kids were little. And all of a sudden, this check doesn't come in. Just because this man didn't like Mike and and uh, talk the elders into, into taking away his support. And Mike can tell lots of stories. All the evangelists can tell stories like that. Uh, people in the church just acting so unchristian. There have been so, so many divisions in the church just out of meanness and selfishness and arrogance and pride. And Unfortunately, sometimes our enemies are in the church. So what... What are the qualities of someone that we consider an enemy? You know, we use the term a lot, but what are the qualities? I'd never had a real enemy. Well, I'm sure I did. I made a lot of enemies in my lifetime. I look back at some of the dumb, a lot of the dumb things I've done and said, and I thought, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that people put up with me. So I know I made enemies, but I didn't really have my first real enemy until about 2008, so I guess I would have been uh, 50 years old then. And I had someone that was out to get me fired. And he lied to me. He told lies about me. He was deceitful. I said, I asked him, I said, are you trying to get me fired? Oh, no, no, I'm not trying to get you fired. To not be trying to get me fired, (laughs) he did an awful good job. But you know, our enemies can be awful deceitful. 
They'll shake hands with us and smile at us to our face and then and the stab us in our back. You know, the Bible talks about backstabbing. Uh, if, if you and I have a uh, disagreement, we get together and talk and shake our fingers at each other and yell and, and say all manner of things. But then there's the person saying, well, how are you, Eddie? And then just stab Eddie. You know what Eddie did? <laughs> talk behind Eddie's back. So a lot of times our enemies are, are deceitful. They're cunning. They're lying. They're two-faced, backstabbing. And, of course, our enemies are always selfish. They don't care about you. All they care about is themselves. They're devious. They'll pull the wool over people's eyes. That's, that's one of the hardest things, I think, for me to accept is I talked about like at work, maybe where there's a position comes open and it's between you and someone else. And it's one thing to, for you and me to compete for a, an opening and try to put forth our good qualities and everything. But when they go behind your back and tell lies about you and try to tear you down in order to make you look better. And the problem is you can't be everywhere at once and you don't know what's going on in secret. And so you can't really, def- to a certain degree, you can't defend yourself against stuff like that. A lot of times you don't even find out that it's happened until days or weeks or years later. That's how our enemies are. Very deceitful. <coughs> and so, thinking back on the person that, that's your enemy that's hurt you, how did you feel about that? Well, the first thing is anger. And e- even rage. There have been times where I was so mad, and usually... I worked for a guy named Gene Harrod. He's a member of the church down in Baytown. That's how I got started in the swimming pools. And I remember when Angie worked for him for a while. I remember one time we were in there, and Gene was on the phone. He slammed down the phone. He said, you can talk bad about my wife. You can talk bad about me, but don't talk bad about my kids. <laughs> Some customer called complaining about, I think his Buddy Harrod, who was working for Gene at the time. Man, that really hurts when someone hurts your kids. I have been so mad, and I'm not proud to admit this. I have been so mad that if it was not wrong to do, I would really have liked to resorted to physical violence against some people. They have hurt my family so bad. So when something we have an enemy, there's anger, there's rage. Uh, you can get bitter, like especially like in the church, where you don't want to cause problems or something, and, and but a person's been your enemy for years, and you can just get real bitter and hateful towards that person. You can't think anything nice about him. You don't want to be around him. You just get this bitterness in your soul that just burns at you. It won't go away. And like I said, there's the desire for vengeance. You just want so bad to get even. You say, you say that's not fair, and, it, and it's not fair. And we live in a, we're blessed to live in a country where, where right is rewarded and wrong is punished, but sometimes... It just doesn't happen, and we want to get revenge, and we want to do it ourselves. And then we can get hurt. We can get hurt, sometimes a hurt that lasts for years. I guess, you know, maybe sometimes things just hurt. And uh, sometimes it hurts because we don't handle it correctly, but there's just sometimes things hurt, and there's nothing to be done about it. When someone hurts you, stabbed you in the back, there's a feeling of helplessness a lot of times. You go, man, I just don't know what to do. I remember when I was in this situation, I didn't know who to... One of the 
guys I worked with, he, he said, you need to get you a lawyer. Well, I thought I couldn't afford a lawyer, and I thought if the truth comes out, then everything, you know, right will prevail. Well, the truth didn't come out, and right didn't prevail. But you can feel extremely helpless. Like I said, you can't be everywhere at once. You don't know what's being said behind your back. You, sometimes you don't know who your enemies are. You may, you may have think the one person's your enemy, and there may be two or three, and you don't know. Just so helpless when people are out to get you. Uh, in First Timothy, or First or Second Timothy, Paul wrote about Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Some, that's just a part of life. And then you can have self-doubt. You, you think, am, am I really that bad? Am I that stupid? And What's going on here? A lot of times your enemies will get you so emotionally riled up, you can't think straight. Proverbs 18 and verse 8 that said, says the words of a talebearer or a gossip, someone that's going behind your back, the words are of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Sometimes you can get hurt so bad that you can just feel it in your stomach. Um, our, our enemies sometimes are, are experts at hurting other people. So what do we as Christians do? I mean, up until now, I haven't told you anything you don't already know or haven't experienced. And if we went home, it wouldn't have done any good. We just had a nice conversation. How does God want us to respond? You know, I talked about all the negative emotions we have. Zig Ziglar used to talk about the difference between reacting and responding. You get sick, you go to the doctor, and he prescribes a medicine, and you go in a week later, and one or two things, he's going to say, oh, you're having a reaction. And we always, reactions are bad. If you're having a reaction to a medicine, something's bad. But if the doctor says, oh, you're responding quite nicely to the treatment, well, that's good news. Usually, I talked about all the attitudes we have when, when we've got an enemy out to get us. Uh, anger and bitterness and hatefulness, those are bad reactions. How does God want us to respond? Well, the first thing that we need to do is we rem- need to remember who's who. In Ecclesiastes, um, I didn't write it down, I think it's Ecclesiastes 3, says, remember that God is in heaven and you are on earth. In Romans chapter 2, Paul writes and he says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are who judges another. Um, For in whatever whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. You know, I said that... uh, that I had made a lot of enemies, you know. Uh, when God's in heaven and we're down here on earth and we're judging someone that's hurt us and talking about how bad, miserable they made our life, we've done the same thing. Are they out lying about you to the boss? Have you ever told a lie? Are they gossiping behind your back? Have you ever talked behind someone's back? course we've all done it now maybe not to that extent maybe we weren't trying to destroy someone's life but we've all done the same thing 
and God's up in heaven and he looks down and you say, look at this guy that's over here lying about me. And God says, you're a liar too. What do you want me to do? Destroy both of you? Remember that God is in heaven and we're on earth. We've got to, we've got to keep things in perspective. James chapter 4 in verse 11 he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now, I don't, I'm not denying that we have enemies and that it hurts and they're out to get us and they can cause us a lot of harm to our reputation, even to our finances. And, and two wrongs don't make a right, but we've got to remember that, that, that we're sinners too. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. There's a story of the two debtors uh, one of the debtors was brought before the king and he owed the king so much money that he could never hope to repay and the king forgave him. But then that debtor, that servant, went to one of his fellow servants who owed him a small amount of money and grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe, and he couldn't pay him. So he had him delivered into prison. And you and I are at least one of those two debtors before God. Another thing that we need to remember is uh, sometimes when we've got enemies, we brought it on ourselves. Now this is just a general truth in Proverbs. It's not always true. But in general, Proverbs says, When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Sometimes when we mistreat people, uh, we just don't act, we, we don't act like Christians like we know we should. We know what we should do, and we just don't do it, and we create our own enemies. Majority of the time, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace. So let's move on now. Let's move on to talk about someone that's really out to destroy us, our job or our marriage or our reputation or whatever. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and 20, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. When some bad things happen, we say, Oh, why me, Lord? And Jesus can look down and say, they did the same thing to me. And that, that kind of helps a lot to me to put it in perspective. I was reading the book of Luke the other day, Jesus' crucifixion. And uh, they, they took him before the, the high priest and they took him before, I think, Herod, then Pilate, then back to Herod. And they, they sat there in front of him and they lied about it. And he just sat there and listened to all these lies. And then they put the crown of thorns on him. And then they blindfolded him and they struck him in the face, slapped him or hit him or whatever, and said, prophesy to us, who hit you? 
He knew who was doing it. You think, you know, God being the creator of the world and just because you blindfold him, he doesn't know who's hitting him? He knew. And he just sat there and take it. He let, let himself be abused by, by sinful people. He told uh, Peter earlier, he said, don't you think I could call down 12 legions of angels and they would save me? Well, of course he could. And he sat there and took it. So we don't need to be surprised when, when, uh, when we're persecuted. Jesus told over and over and over. He said, they mistreat me, they'll mistreat you. So it's got to be expected. The servant is not greater than his master. Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really explains about how to deal with our enemies. Matthew chapter 25, or Matthew 5 and verse 38, he's quoting from the Old Testament here. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the old law, God said, if, if this person commits this crime, then you can do this thing in order to get even with them. I mean, punishment also. But there were some really harsh penalties in the Old Testament, and I didn't take time to look them up, but in the Old, the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus explains the difference between the old law and this new law that he's fixing to bring in. And he says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which is exactly what we all want to do. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good, good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And right here is where the, where the rubber meets the road. Most of the time I can get up here and I can read just about anything in the Bible and we all say, yeah, yeah, that's right. I believe that. I believe that. But now we're called on to do some things that probably not a one of us here wants to do. He says, don't resist an evil person. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. What do we do when someone wants to sue us? Well, we get a lawyer to protect us, to protect all our possessions. When was the last time that someone was out to get you and you said, here, not, not only that, but, but take this also. Usually we fight tooth and nail for what's mine, what's ours. And I've been, I'm 63. I've been a Christian since my teens. And I don't want to do this. This hurts to do this. Whoever compels you to go a mile, go with them too. Give to him who asks, from him who wants to borrow, don't turn away. Love your enemies, bless those who uh, curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Think about that person that's hurt you. Maybe someone right now that's out to hurt you. Can you pray for him? That is awful hard. Right now, there's someone in our family that's, or not in our family, but has been persecuting our family for years now. And 
And I often find myself, when I remember that verse, I just can't do it. Someone that's out to hurt me and destroy me, I mean, ah. Usually what I end up doing is I say, God, please deal with this situation as you know it needs to be dealt with. I can't even get the words out of my mouth to pray for this person. It is so hard. And you know, we have different levels as Christians of maturity. When a person is first baptized, and then there's people in the church that we really look up to, and they're really, we think, I mean, us they're really good Christians and we fall all of us false and then of course there's Jesus at the top I mean that's what we all aspire to but he's way better than we could ever be and we are all somewhere on this we're like the the babe in Christ or we're more mature maybe we're a leader in the church and wherever we are on this continuum this line a lot of us going to be determined by how we can do these things how we can pray for our enemies uh, and love them. And like I said, that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. Now, our desire, we want we want to uh, see right done. If you read the Old Testament, David in Psalms was constantly praying to God that God would deliver him from his enemies, that God would deal with the the enemies of David and with the enemies of Israel. And that's what we want to see done, don't we? We want to, Someone robs a store here. We want to see him caught and we want to see him go to jail so he can't do that anymore. And it'll be a lesson to everyone else that's thinking about robbing a store or shooting somebody. We want to see justice done. But uh, it says here that we're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're supposed to love them, and that, that's really hard. The problem with an eye for an eye is that it leaves the whole world blind. Remember the Hatfields and McCoys? I don't know the, the whole story, but one of them got killed or injured, so they wanted revenge, and so they killed one of the other family members, and they wanted revenge, and this went on for years. They just kept killing each other back and forth. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. You know, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. For years I thought that a Christian couldn't, uh, for example, use a gun in self-defense. The Bible says, turn the other cheek. And it hit me one day that turning the other cheek is simply a pride issue. It's not a life or death issue. Someone insults you. In, in your pride, you get all puffed up and mad and you want to say something. That's just your pride. Jesus says, let him do it again. Turn the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is a pride issue. When we can't turn the other cheek, it's, it's because of our pride. Proverbs chapter 24. In verse 29. says, do not say, I will do to him just as he did to me. I will render to the man according to his work. That's not a Christian attitude. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. Again, it says, Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. 
And then in Romans chapter 12, Thirteen. Verse 9, it says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then let's see here. It was Romans 12 that I wanted. In verse 17 it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. As it, as it, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And then Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Going back real quick to Matthew 5, where Jesus first introduced this thought of loving our enemies. Jesus points out, Verse 45, he says to do these things that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I guess it's, it's really an amazing thing that God can love you or me. But it's especially amazing that people, that God can love people that curse him they're out to destroy his church, that mock him, that blaspheme, blaspheme his name. But he still sends the rain on all of us, whether we deserve it or not. And then reading in Luke recently, I found the same thing the way Luke had it recorded in chapter 6 and verse 35. Speaking of God, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. God is kind to evil people. Boy, that's hard to believe. That, that is amazing right there. The people that are not... You and I thank Him all the time for all the stuff He's done. God is kind to the people who don't even care. That are unthankful. And that's what Jesus meant in verse 48. He said, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It doesn't mean that we're perfectly sinless but God's love is perfect it's complete God loves everybody he says therefore since God loves everybody the unkind, the evil, the unthankful we too need to love everyone And then we read in Romans chapter 12 where God says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. You know, earlier we read James. He says, Who are you that judges another? If you judge someone, then you're no longer a doer but a judge. There's one judge, there's one lawgiver. It's the same thing when it comes to, to vengeance. 
if we try to get even with somebody, all of a sudden we're telling God, that's okay, I'll take care of it myself. God says, no, it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And then that's where trust comes in. Our final attitude when it comes to dealing with our enemies is to trust God. There's a song we say, sing that says, trust and obey. And I think there is more wisdom in that song than we, than we realize. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, we would like to see the vengeance right away, wouldn't we? Someone robs the store, someone robs the bank, the, the cops catch him in 30 minutes, we go, yay! But then there's people that, uh, the Zodiac Killer out in California and, and others like that that killed for years and years and never got caught. And we go, man, that's just not fair. That's not right. Well, maybe the cops didn't catch them, but God knows who they are. And one day they'll die, and God's going to take care of it. God does things in his time. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. We need to trust that God will do what he said, and then we need to obey him and do what he said for us to do. Someone said that we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. (laughs) But... The truth is, Paul talk, or Jesus talked about being complete as our Father in heaven is. Someone said that forgiveness is the ultimate expression of love. We know that uh, we know that forgiveness has begun when we can think about those who have hurt us. And can't read my own writing. Oh, we can think about those who have hurt us and feel the power to wish them well. And that's where we need to get to, is when we can think about our enemies and not have hatred in our heart, uh, bitterness or desire for revenge, but we can look at them and feel sorry for them. A lot of times, like I said, the first, when someone does us wrong, the, the, one of the first emotions is anger, but if you sit and look, I know, I know this, this one person, just a, just a, you know, from our viewpoint, just a horrible person. But I look at his family life, and I really suspect that he was abused as a child, probably physically and for, for sure emotionally. His mom was, his brothers were. He just had a... A bad dad. His dad is, like I said, from our point of view, still a bad person. And you and I run across him once in a while and don't have to deal with him much. This poor kid had to grow up in that house. I know another kid that had, or a grown man, he had an abusive dad. And he's got a bridge on his two front teeth. Not because he got old and lost his teeth, because his dad threw him up against the wall and knocked his teeth out. And you see people like that and and sure, they're doing you wrong, but you look at the miserable life they had and you think, I don't really see how they could have turned out any different. I mean, they could have, but I don't think I could have gone through what he went through and turned out to be a good person. I'm blessed to have grown up in a good house. But, but we know that forgiveness has started when we're able to look at our enemies and rather than feel negative thoughts towards them, 
we can feel the good thoughts and have compassion on them. The Bible says that Jesus looked out at the multitudes and he had compassion on them. When he looked out at the multitudes, he was looking out at sinners and he still felt sorry for them. So what's the end of the story that we started with, the story of Esther? One night the king couldn't sleep. Remember I said, I said that Mordecai had sat outside the gate because he was wondering what had happened to Esther, this, this girl he had raised to be a woman. And while he was sitting in the gate, he found out about two of the king's servants that were, had a conspiracy against the king and were wanting to kill the king. So Mordecai got word to Esther. Esther got word to the king, and the king had them, I think, executed and, of course, saved his own life. Well, one night during this time, after the decree went out, but before the Jews were killed, he couldn't sleep. And so he had the Chronicles read. And there was a story in there about Mordecai that had reported these two men that wanted to kill the king. And the king said, did we ever do anything for this man? And they said, no. So the next morning, the king, Haman, comes in, and the king says, if there was somebody that you really wanted to reward, what would you do? Let's see if I can stop that. What would you do? And he said, I would take the best robe and I would take a a robe that the king had wore and I would put it on. I would get a horse that the king had ridden on and let him ride on this horse. And the king said, I like that idea. So they called Mordecai, Haman's enemy. They gave him the robe, put him on the horse and paraded him around town. (laughs) Haman was furious now. But then it got reported. Let's see, I can't remember the rest of the story. It got re- oh, Esther came to the king again. And she reported that there was someone that was out to kill Mordecai and all his people. And the, oh, back, I'm getting ahead of myself, getting ahead of myself. They were going to kill all the Jews. Uh, Haman had some gallows built that were 75 feet high. Anyway, going back to Esther, she reports to the king there's someone that's going to kill all the Jews. And the king says, who is this? And she says, it's Haman. And the king ordered that Haman was hung on the, uh, the gallows that he had built to destroy other people. So, so God took vengeance on the enemies of the Jews and of Mordecai and Esther. And so like the song says, we need to trust and obey. We need to trust that in the end, God's going to take... It may be this week, next month, in a few years, or it may be on Judgment Day. But we need to trust that God is going to make all things right. And in the meantime, we need to obey God. We need to pray for our enemies. We need to love them. We need to do good to them. So we always have a song that we call a song of invitation. Think about the things we've talked about this morning, and maybe you've been thinking about different things. If there's a change that you need to make in your life, decide to make that change today while we stand and sing this song.